you have mail. If you've got an Apple product, uh, you'll have come to love the red circle like this one. Why? Because it tells us how many messages uh, you have. I opened up uh, my iPhone this morning. Four new emails. Not that many. Saturday night uh, to Sunday morning. Uh, I had 16 new diary entries, uh, all from my wife as we share an online diary. Uh, I had three new WhatsApps and a text message. All in that little red circle, showing me how many new messages I have. We like mail. We like new communications, and especially we like those that have our name on it. There's still nothing quite like an ordinary written letter, is there? Look, a Christmas card is quite good, um, but we kind of know we're going to get a few through the post at Christmas time. Uh, thank you very much. If uh, you sent Kerry and I a Christmas card at Christmas, uh, I think we had a, a couple from you. Um, I don't think we sent one to uh, anyone here, so uh, thank you for uh, the ones that we did receive. But still, nothing quite beats a handwritten letter. It's exciting to see who it's from. It's exciting to see what the message is all about. And today we are on the doormat. Picture that continually, your front door. We're on the doormat. And here is a letter. And a letter a few years ago landed on the doormat. The first thing you do with a letter, well, you pick it up and uh, you see who it's to. Quite excited that uh, this had my name on it, Mr. I, Lancaster. And then you kind of uh, have a look at it, second class, not that important, perhaps, as the, uh, the friend who wrote it. Um, you know, no, nothing quite urgent. And then you look at the, uh, the mark, the watermark, not the watermark, what's that, the stamp mark on it. Uh, and you, uh, you kind of work out who it's from before you even open the letter. And then you dive in. We're at the beginning of a new series in Revelation. And look... Let's get our bearings, as we do with a new letter before we even dive into it. Let's just get our bearings for a moment. As I was studying for this, uh, I started uh, writing and I wrote, John wrote seven letters. And then I stopped and I had to correct myself. No, he didn't. John wrote one letter. Here's his letter. It's called Revelation. He wrote his one letter to the seven churches in the province of Asia. It's just as if one letter fell on the doormat of each of these seven churches. Not seven different letters. One letter falling on the doormat of seven churches. We'll look at how John addresses the seven churches. He's got a specific message for each one. But it's one letter written to the seven churches. And secondly, it is supposed to be understood. See the second word there that Simon read from God's word? The revelation. Like every letter you and I receive... 
there's a purpose for communication. To understand something or take action because of it. And it's exactly the same. The word revelation to be revealed, to be understood. When I reveal something, when I write to somebody, I I want someone to understand and then act accordingly. And so revelation is meant to be understood. I saw a couple of smirks uh, as we started today thinking about this new series, thinking, oh, good grief, Revelation, the last book in the Bible. I don't have a clue. I kind of saw on people's faces uh, as we're going to enter uh, into this series. Do you know what John says right at the beginning? It's a revelation. It's meant to be revealed. It's written so that you and I would understand it. It's like the crossword puzzle, the answers to the crossword puzzle that appear the Saturday after the week before. You have all the answers written there. Is This is a letter revealed to you. It's meant to be understood. So here are three things uh, that we're going to look at. Title today, I am coming. Who is it from? Three points. We're going to do a bit of a bit of work in the text so that the next seven weeks, uh, hopefully we won't have to go back always into the context of who wrote it and why did he write it and who was he writing to. We'll get it all today. So there's going to be a little bit of uh, heavy lifting, a bit of donkey work in the passage uh, for us just to get our bearings. And then off we go in the next seven weeks. Who is it from? Look, we ripped open a letter. And you go, all oh, right, well, you know, it's to you. So then what do you do? You kind of go scan from and then you uh, look at the bottom. There it is. Yours, Matt. A letter from a friend, Matt Beebe. We rip the letter open and we go straight to the end to see who the sender is. And our hearts are either filled with joy or... Perhaps a little bit gutted, depending upon the context. You see, here it's a little bit different. Letters in this era started with the sender first. And so in our letters, it's two, Ian, two, Lanks. And then read, 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 Matt, Matt Beebe, your friend, Matt Beebe. But before then, it was in this era, as John was writing towards the end of the first century into the second, it starts with the sender first. And so we read in verse one, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So who is the letter from? Well, the letter is from, look carefully, verse one again. The letter is from God. And look, God gave it to Jesus. Do you see that? The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So it's from God to Jesus. And then he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. It's from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him through his angel to 
John. And John is on the island of Patmos. Do you see that in verse 9? Quick, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos. There he is. And John is in the spirit. See that? John is in the spirit. We've got God to Jesus through an angel to John, and he's there in the spirit. Something of the Trinity in action. I was talking to someone recently, oh, the Trinity, I do not understand it. We're meant to appreciate it. We're meant to get that we have a God who is three in one. We'll never fully understand it, no. But here at the beginning, know that John has heard it from God through Jesus, through an angel, and it's been brought to him as he is in the spirit. The spirit brings it to John through a vision. And look, what is John doing? Verse two, John testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. John gives us the credentials of his testimony. Look, it's the word of God. It's God's revealed word. We can be confident in it. The seven churches know it's from God. And it's worth us taking note of that, isn't it? Sometimes we open the Bible and we read and we go, yeah, that's fine. Here's God's word written over 1500 years, 40 different authors, three different languages across three continents. One central striking theme. God will rescue his people. And it's through the testimony of Jesus. Jesus has gone before us. John mentions that verse five from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Here's John's credentials. Why should we believe it? It's the word of God. It's the very revealed word of God, and it's the testimony of Jesus. And one more additional helpful comment that I think gets us going. Look at verse five. <clears throat> from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Here's the context. It's to a people who are in persecution. It's to a people who are getting battered, as we will see in a moment, for their faith. And John wants them to know that Jesus, he's the faithful witness. He's gone before them. He's ruler of the king of kings and he loves them and he's freed them from their sins by his blood. John, so it's from 
God, to Jesus, through an angel, to John in the spirit. And who is it to? We've made mention of this already, but who is this letter to? Well, it's historical. It's to real people in real cities, in real time. We've already seen, look for verse 4, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And then look in verse 11, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so here are the churches. There's Western Turkey as we have it now, the province of Asia as it was. And you see the order of the churches there. They would have been in the order the most likely order in which the letter was taken to. Start in Ephesus, bottom left. Work your way up the coast, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, through the valley <coughs> to Laodicea. The letters are historical. The letters are earthy. They're written in a logical order in which they were to be delivered. Why seven? Why, John? Why not three? Why not 20? And it's worth us knowing at the beginning that Revelation is organized in sevens. Seven was and is the symbolic number of completeness. And so as John writes to seven churches, we're to read that and they have specific substance, context to those churches. But there's also hints of the wider relevance of the message to churches at all time. Seven, the complete number. So it's a letter to seven specific churches in modern day Turkey. For the universal church of all time throughout the ages. I mentioned before, the likelihood is that these churches, these Christians are being persecuted. Verse three, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. Written at a time, first century, second century, the Roman Empire was forcing Christians to worship the emperor. Enormous pressure to bow down to the emperor of Rome. And at the time of writing, 40 major temples where Caesar was worshipped as a god. A temple in each of the cities where John writes to. The Christians tempted to compromise as they listened to the heretical teachings amidst the pagan society. And John says, Jesus has gone before. He loves you and he's freed you. And we get the idea that John also is being persecuted. Look, verse 9, we've looked at it already. He was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was there because of the word of God, because he testified to the word of Jesus. Patmos is an island off the coast of Greece, a place where Rome sent its political prisoners. There he was as a prisoner. So we've got our bearings. We've understood a little bit about the context, who John was, who it was from. 
who the letter was to. Now, what's the message? What's the message of the letter? Last point, as we look at the the depth of chapter one and see what John would have these seven churches grasp from the very beginning. What's the message? Back to the doormat. So I read my letter from Matt Beebe. Two lengths from your friend Matt Beebe. (coughs) Here's a clue. You kind of wander over some of the words, don't you? You read it for the first time before you dive into it the second time. Here's Matt's comment. By way of encouragement, I just wanted to put into writing what a fantastic week I had at camp. Here's Matt Beebe. He wants to encourage me. He had a great time at camp in the summer. What's John's message? Everything else that Matt writes hangs around those words. It's an encouraging letter. He wants to encourage me. What does John want the churches to know and therefore us at Town Church? What is it that he desperately wants us to know? And here's the spoiler. Here's the game changer. And I'll say it before we dive into it. The glorious king that you knew who went before you in verse five, the one who loves and has freed you from sins by his blood spilt on the cross. That king is coming back again and he is glorious. To the Christians in the midst of persecution for following Jesus, pressed to worship the emperor, tempted to conform, give up as suffering and death looms. They are to take heart. To take heart. Why? Because this glorious king is coming back. We've seen hints of this. Can you see in verse one? To show his servants what must soon take place. It's future looking. Behave now. Act now. Cling on now because of what's coming later. Look in verse three. Because the time is near. Look in verse seven. Says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. As John greets the churches, he is coming. And then in verse 19, right therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, the king is coming. And who is this king? I think it's a tradition of ours at Christmas time to watch the line the witch in the wardrobe. It was Tommy's time uh, to, uh, to watch it for the first time. And I'm going to quote something that I know you've heard before at Town Church. Not from me either. But there's a moment in the line the witch in the wardrobe if you have not seen it. That is a magnificent moment because everything changes in this moment. And it's when the four children are in the beaver's home and they're hearing about Aslan for the very first time. 
And it starts with a beaver talking, so bear with me if you've got no clue of the line, the witch and the wardrobe. Aslan a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood, the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. I mean, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, deary, and no mistake, says Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe? said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I'm longing to see him, said Peter. Even if I do feel frightened when it comes to the point. That's right, son of Adam, said Mr. Beaver bringing his paw down on the table with a crash that made all the cups and saucers rattle. And so you shall. Word has been sent that you are to meet him tomorrow, if you can, at the stone table. The king is coming. Here's what John wants to write. Here's what John wants the Christians to understand. John's new vision of Jesus, a vision too difficult to capture fully. See how many times he uses the word like, 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 like. I'm going to read verses 12 to 18 slowly. Ponder this new vision with me. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Oh, before we look at Jesus, just look. Seven lampstands equals the seven churches in their light bearing witness. Seven stars is the seven angels, as we see there, right at the bottom, verse 20, the complete heavenly host under the authority of Jesus. And John wants us to see the glorious king who is coming. Here's the big danger in January, I think, for us, that we leave Jesus in the manger. That's our view of him. And it's an incredible view, the King of Kings incarnate becoming flesh. It is an incredible view, but we can't leave him in the manger. 
I remember a prayer that my mother used to teach me. I remember praying it every night. Jesus Christ, meek and mild, look upon a little child. And it was right and it was good. But I can't leave Jesus just as meek and mild. What is going on? What is John trying to do? What is going to stop us conforming to the culture? What happens when we find that our culture is intimidating or perhaps alluring? We need a fresh vision of the Lord Jesus, of King Jesus. Now, as we read the words... And we understand this vision of this vision when a Roman soldier is shouting at the Christian, recant your faith. Recant the name of Jesus and you will live if you continue to the lions you go. Or picture the office antagonist sneering and jeering as you tell others in the office about what you learned at church last Sunday. <coughs> Or perhaps the classroom bully who continues to have a pop at you for your faith. Or in the moments of weakness, you're tempted to promote self instead of thinking of others around you. Or you're tempted to click the button on the internet page to fulfill your lustful gratifications. What do you need? What do I need? A fresh vision of the Lord Jesus, the King. Look, verse 13, let's go through this really quick. Someone like a son of man. It's a direct record of Daniel 7. It's an exalted human figure who will bring an end to the succession of world pagan kingdoms who have come before. Here it is. That's the son of man in Daniel 7. And John is saying, I saw someone like the son of man. Here he is. And he's dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet. Here's Jesus in a robe, our high priest. He's the one who intercedes and mediates between us and God. And hey, get this, the longer the robe, the higher the rank in the Roman army. Look how long the robe of Jesus reaches down to his feet. It goes long and far, the highest ranked verse 13 with a golden sash around his chest straight back to Daniel chapter 5 in the Old Testament the sash that the priest had to wear it's gold and it's full of beauty verse 14 the hair on his head was white like wool white as snow it's Daniel 9 it's the ancient of days a sign of honor a sign of wisdom a sign of a judge as he sits in the courtroom Look at his eyes were blazing like fire. The ability, King Jesus, to see everything. And therefore his sight burns into the heart of every human. And look, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Sign of purity in his judgments in Daniel 7. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. The authoritative words of God. You see the picture that John sees The picture that John needs to communicate to a people who are being persecuted. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. Look, he has control over all of the heavenly hosts. The angels worship and adore him. 
and the sword, the powerful word that brings punishment and reward. And his face was like the shining sun in all its brilliance. This is the brilliance of his appearance. There's the picture of King Jesus. What happens with John? He's totally overwhelmed. Verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. See the picture? King Jesus in all his brilliance, all his splendor, reaches out, placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first, I'm the last. This is who I am. I'm the living one. I was dead but I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. What's your view of King Jesus today? Jesus Christ, meek and mild, or here he is in all of his brilliance. The hymn writer, Vernon Heinem, he wrote hymns not too long ago. During a period of serious illness and the hymns always reflected the nearness of the Lord at a time of weakness. And he wrote a song called I Saw a New Vision of Jesus. Here was Vernon. Serious illness. And this is what he saw as he read God's word. I saw a new vision of Jesus, a view I'd not seen here before, beholding in glory so wondrous, with beauty I had to adore. I stood on the shores of my weakness and I gazed at the brink of such fear. T'was then that I saw him in newness, regarding him fair and so dear. And the final verse, for yonder a light shines eternal which spreads through the valley of gloom, Lord Jesus, resplendent and regal, drives fear far away from the tomb. Our God is the end of the journey, his pleasant and glorious domain, for there are the children of mercy who praise him for Calvary's pain. Here's the simple message from John as we get into the complexities of Revelation. But don't forget this. What's the message The glorious king in all of his brilliance is coming. So, dear church, take heart in the moments where we need to. Take heed and be watchful and careful and shine brilliantly. It's those seven lampstands. Shine brilliantly to the world outside. How are we going to be the church that does that? How are we going to be that? If we grasp this new vision of Jesus. Our little girl, Talitha, let's finish with this. You know, she loves sweets. Who doesn't? She loves sweets. Put Talitha in a room full of sweets and say to Talitha, do not eat a sweet. How long do you think we'd last? Just Talitha, there you go, into a room, there's a big bag of sweets in the corner. Do not eat them. How long do you think she would last? A few minutes, maybe. Ten minutes, most, on a good day. Do you know if we threw Talitha in a room? Well, not through, because that's not against, uh, well, it's against our safeguarding policy at church, and <laughs> something I wouldn't recommend. But if we uh, put Talitha uh, in a room full of sweets, 
and said, do not eat the sweets. And then pointed her towards the other corner of the room and said, but eat as much ice cream as you want. She won't touch the sweets because the ice cream is far greater. She likes ice cream even better. How are we going to take heart? By fixing our eyes on something far more glorious in 2020. How are we going to take heed when temptations are rife, pulling us away from the Lord Jesus, when we see something more glorious? It won't be people saying, don't do that, stop doing that. That won't help. What will help is when I see Jesus (coughs) and I see him in his resplendent glory. And my heart is drawn to him as I know I'm his. He's come to save me. And he's coming back for me to be with him forever. Town Church, that's how we're going to take heart and take heed and shine brilliantly in 2020. We're going to sing and I'm going to pray as the band prepare and get ready. Father God, we are conscious uh, that... We read these words and in our mind's eye, we get some kind of a picture uh, of the vision that John saw of you, of the Lord Jesus and his resplendent glory. We, We get some kind of picture, but we fail to see totally the wonder and the majesty. Our Father, please do for us what we cannot. Help us to see you as you really are and help us to know This year, help us to know that you're a king who will return and you will return in glory and you will take those who are yours home with you to be with you forever. forever. Lord, would that give us heart and encouragement? Would that help us to be focused and be obedient to to you? And would that enable us to shine brightly to the lost world in Bista? and beyond. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.